Hey, welcome back to another Mariners Week that was on 710 Seattle Sports. Shannon Dreyer here to bring you any of the Mariners talk you may have missed in what turned out to be a rather newsy week for the Mariners. There was, of course, the tender deadline, GM meetings, a couple of minor league signings, and the trade and free agent markets officially opening. So plenty of Mariners talk on the airwaves and on seattlesports.com. Here on this podcast, we attempt to wrap it all up nicely and put it in one place. This week, we hear from Ryan Divish and John Morosi from the GM meetings in Scottsdale. We check in with Brandon Gustafson from Seattle Sports, take a closer look at a potential direction I wouldn't mind seeing the team go in, and check in with Aaron Goldsmith, who filled in for Mike Salk on Brock and Salk on Thursday. And kind of as a bonus, uh, we even hear from Kalen DeBoer on Julio Rodriguez. All that comes up over the next hour on the podcast. But we start going all the way back to Monday on Wyman and Bob, where Ryan Roland Smith joined them. Roland Smith was coming off broadcasting the World Series for the BBC. What an honor to get to do that. Very exciting. If you want to hear more about that, go back to the podcast page and listen to it on their show page. But I jump in in this conversation where it turns a little bit more Mariners-centric. Namely, Bob asking Ryan Roland Smith if he thought Julio was slighted not getting the Gold Glove Award. First of all, a couple things. Um, Kevin Kiermaier, when you look at, if you want to go straight, you know, propeller, hat, nerd, Kiermaier put up some ridiculous analytically analytically, uh, appropriate numbers for center field. And he's really, really good. I mean, he cuts down runs like no one's business. Um, Mike Cameron knows better than anyone. When he, he he made that comment, on, yeah, he tweeted out actually. I think, I yeah. think you guys, are, yeah, he tweeted out about. I'm sure you're referring to that mm-hmm. uh, about playing in T-Mobile Park. I don't know anything about that. I don't want to speak for that. Yeah, I've, I've played uh, I've played center field during batting practice and just clunked a, f- a thousand balls. And by the way, and also um, Bob Stelton has seen me drop a, a sitter as well out there in center field during the media <laughs> uh, baseball funds after the scene, whatever you call I wasn't, it. I would never bring that up. I would never. Go bring for it. It. I not said anything about it. Go for it, but yeah. no. Uh, but so he, he can speak more to that point. But you know, I, I think look, Kevin Kiermaier, if he didn't get it, you'd be looking at this going, "Hold on a minute!" All the nerds would go in and say, "Well, look at the, uh, yeah, the, the run value. Look at the outs above average. He beats Julio in a lot of those categories." <laughs> I will say this: the East Coast slash West Coast, the fact that Kevin Kiermaier is playing on the East Coast helps out massively because if it's something where well, I'll give you a couple a couple things on this. And I don't want to admit this and throw players under the bus. I'll get to that one second. But we all know that East Coast teams, because of the 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 times on they're in, get way more exposure. That's just the way it goes. Like that's just the way it goes. When you're a player, like for example, you're sitting in the clubhouse at four o'clock in the afternoon. You're kind of hanging out. You've you know, had your workout. You're about to go for batting practice or whatever. Guess what? You're watching. You're watching every game over there on the on the East Coast. So you get to see so many more players, yeah, from from the East Coast as opposed to you do, as opposed to the West Coast. That's just the way it way it goes. When when you're living on the on the East Coast, you what well, you going to stay up till 10 to watch Julio play center field. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a player standpoint, and this is voted in, remember, from coaches and players. Now, <laughs> I don't wanna, I don't know how it goes now. I don't know if it's mandatory vote, but back in the day when I was playing, I would never admit this when I was playing, but I'll admit it now. I don't care. <laughs> You would you would get, and I don't even know if it's paper form anymore. But you know, look, the players and the coaches are supposed to vote. I'm just looking at names on a sheet. I'm just going to vote for my friends. Like I'm not going in there. I'm not going into baseball savant and looking in or looking at stats or, or watching video. So it's a little flawed, and I hate to say this, and a lot of people shake their head at this, but yeah, 2020, as miserable as that year was, and I don't want to ever say that anything was good about a 60 game season. 
But they did it, – it wasn't just straight voted in like, yeah, this will do or whatever it may be. It was more um, centered around, you know, analytically what you can prove and everything else. Uh, and so all of a sudden, you know, I mean, you know, we had um, – the, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Evan White and J.P. Crawford. Yeah, Evan White, exactly. Evan White um, getting the gold glove. I mean, because no one's voting for no one. Vote, no one's voting for Evan White. No, nothing against him, but he was putting out first base, putting up some ridiculous numbers analytically. It, it wasn't a vote. It was basically, uh, and I hate to say it, but he deserved it because he was really good. He was cutting runs down. He was cutting base runners down by what he did at first base. Uh, but he's not getting that if it's voted in. That's for, that's for sure, especially being on the West Coast. Hey, so looking at what the Mariners are gonna do, and and you know some of the some of the questions were around Teoscar Hernandez. Do they extend him the qualifying offer? If they do, does he take it? Or you know, in such a shallow market in terms of you know big names or impact players, it feels like he could get a probably a deal that we'd look at and go, I wouldn't pay that. But Mariners did not extend him the uh, qualifying offer that would have been just over twenty million dollars. So. Any any apprehension about it? you feel like that was the right move, the wrong move? What do you think? Yeah, I was a little surprised, but again, you know, look, if they're going to go out and, and who knows what they're going to do, I think that a couple things that really motivate the Seattle Mariners to actually go and 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 change the course of what they're looking to like, what they're usually looking to do, and is you had in the playoffs in the in this championship series, three of the four teams you were somewhat connected to. All right. The D-backs, you're watching your closer, Paul Sewell, close out games. And you look at that going, if you want to get you know, minuscule here, we missed out on the playoffs because of you know, a game we lost late in the, you know, yeah, in the eighth or ninth inning because we are short bullpen-wise. We just were. Paul Sewell, look, you, you, it's hard to replace this, the, the consistency. And you're watching the D-backs play in the World Series. You got the Houston Astros that you drop drop some games to at the end, where you had them by the throat too, man. You really did, and and then you've got the, obviously the Texas Rangers. Three of the four teams you are connected to in in one way, shape, or form. Two of them are in your division, so you got that. You also have the obviously the comments from Cal and JP. We know about all that. Um, we know about the fact that the fan base is looking at the Mariners, going, "Hey, listen, we're not happy with where we're sitting right now. You should be so so motivated to go out and go and 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 make some things happen, you know, this winter." I think you're still going to have to recruit players outside of free agency. You're going to have to make some trades. You're going to have to put your career on the line, essentially. I know that sounds dramatic if you're in the front office, but you're going to have to make some moves that, that define your position in a front office. And I think they've they've got the ability to do it. And so I think that if they can if they can do that, okay, no worries. But I was a little surprised about Tiosco, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, he had two good months. Ryan, when you look at it, and our buddy Luke Arkins sent us some numbers, said he did not hit a double or a home run at T-Mobile Park in the month of September. Right. You look at him, he was good in August, and he was good in June. And the rest of the time, he was not good. And then in, out, in the outfield, he was really not good. Right. So now you're looking at a clean sweep where every bat you brought in to help this offense last offseason is no longer on the roster. That's right. kind of damning, to say yeah, the very and, least. And that's the and I agree with that. I, I'm looking at this going, all right, right now, is he worth it in regards to what he did, like based off 2023? No. Like, you know, Luke Arkins brought up those numbers. But to my point here, I just think that, man, you have got some serious positions, some serious holes in your roster, whereas if you can, if you can look at T. Oscar and say, okay, we know the guy, we know it took him a little bit to get settled in, we, we know that if he is capable of putting four uh, – those two months he put up, if he does that for four months, 
right? Or whatever. He's able to get four of the six months where he puts up that production. Yes, it's worth it. And let's go address the rest of the roster. That's kind of my point. And I think, too, like looking at some of these players, like, for example, you know, Mitch Garver just got the, – the Rangers didn't qualify him an offer. He's, he's a free agent all of a sudden. I'm looking at that guy, man, he 270, hitting 20-something home runs, whatever, whatever. I'm like, there's going to be some names out there. It's just going to be interesting. I just think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, I think, free agency. Uh, I, I think you've got to start getting clever here and, and creating some trades, and you're going to have to give up one of your babies. Hey, Ryan, as far as, uh, you know, whether it's, I guess, taking the biggest leap is the way I would uh, ask this question. Who do you, in, on the pitching staff, do you think is is set to, based on the year that they had last year, whether it's, you know, Kirby or, you know, whoever, who do you think really set themselves up to, to kind of take off next year? Well, I, yeah, I think George Kirby's already, you know, I, I'll say taken off, but there was – there was a couple things that he can improve on, right? I know that sounds crazy. He had a great first half. He struggled in the second half. He really he wasn't the same guy. He didn't finish strong, essentially. And I don't mean just by one or two starts. I'm saying, like, the same consistency. He set the bus so high in those first couple months, and all of a sudden, <clears throat> that two-seam fastball that he had that, against lefties and that, and that two-seam fastball well, on, on the gloves, on, on glove side, you watch that, he just couldn't quite get that pitch in that second half, and he had to really lean so heavily on other, on other pitches. Logan Gilbert, he went from 2022, where he had flashes of being really, really good, to 2023, just getting extremely consistent. So I think if George can sort of take that next consistency, I'm talking over six months, it is hard. Listen, man, like... Oh, and, and I, there's no way my talent level is as close as these dudes, right? Logan and, and George Kirby of what they're capable of doing. Six months of consistency is really, really difficult. It really is. You have to have, if you don't have option A, you have to find option B, If you, and then option C is going to be that, that safety net. I think with George, man, there was times where he got so frustrated, the wheels started to spin off a little bit. He didn't have that fastball command, and you could see it written all over his face, and it happened right after the, the, the All-Star game for a good you know, little chunk of time there before he, he slowly started to figure it out and go to plan B and, and figure out some other ways around it. Then you got the fastball back at the end. So I think, I know it sounds crazy, George Kirby's going to have a great career. He had a, he had a really good year last year. But there was some, some times when you're talking about getting into that month four, month five, and month six, that I think if he can get through that, that you know, weather that storm a little bit, he's, he's going to be the same consistency as we saw the first half. The other couple other guys too, I, I, I want to wait till spring training physically to see how they look and physically to see how the ball's coming out of their hand and, and what they've done and, 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 and find out what, what, what they've been up to. But I think two guys in, in Bryce Miller, I'm not worried about Brian Wu. I think he's going to be okay. But Bryce Miller and Emerson Hancock. Once he gets back off the IL, what have you done to, to say that, all right, you can do this, what you've been doing, for six straight months and have that same consistency I'm talking about when we saw what Logan Gilbert did this year? Yeah, let me bring you back to something you just said where you were talking about a move they may have to make where they, I think you said they'd have to give up one of their babies. Yeah. That that just enrages me. Dave said the same thing along, you know, not that you said it or he said it, but the fact that that's the reality, that if you want to yeah. bring in an impact bat via trade, yeah, you're going to have to, whether it's one of, the, one of your starters now or somebody in the system you don't want to give up, whether that's, you know, I don't know, Harry Ford or somebody like that, they, that's their fault, Ryan. That's their fault for what they did not do last year in the offseason and the year before in the offseason. 
So that is 100% on them for their lack of activity in the previous off seasons. And now they put themselves in a position where it was just money. Then, then it was just money. Now it's, you're going to have to pay somebody and give up somebody you wouldn't otherwise have to. Right. Yeah. And, and, and to my point with that, I'm not sitting here saying they have the inability to go out and get a free agent. I just feel like the, the trend all of a sudden, you know, and I get, look, this has always been the way I just find that in the last couple of winners, it's not a situation where they're like, ah, oh, no, we're good, we're good, and maybe it is. Oh, who knows? But they're still putting their they're still putting their their offers out to some of these big free agents. I mean, let's let they're, they're having those meetings, setting it up. But what is it that you offer? For example, like if you're now now you're up against teams like you hear it all the time, the Houston Astros, the the uh, you know the the, the Texas Rangers. I'll give you an example, right? Like Blake Snell, he's from Seattle. Mm-hmm. He loves the Mariners. Yeah. Right. But man, the dude he he just wants he wants to go somewhere. He wants to play in the playoffs. These guys they get to an age they get six years into the into the big leagues, and then they become free agents, and they're like, yeah, this is great. I love being a big leaguer, but now I need to play in the playoffs. Now you have to prove to me what are you going to do just to to tell me that in these if I sign a six year deal. Four of these, I'm going to stick around here. You're not just going to flip me to some other team. I'm going to deal with this no trade clause, and you ask me to get to take it off because you're stripping down or whatever. But you prove to me, four of these six years, I want to be playing deep into the playoffs. How are you going to do that? And I think that's what the teams have to now offer. Besides all the other stuff, all the all the you know the the, the other stuff that goes with it, right? Like for example, Liam Hendricks was saying like some of his meetings were all about the you know about the 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 Charities are involved in with the White Sox when he was going through the free agency with the White Sox um, about parts of town and they sort of do their research on the individual, what they might like away from the field. It sounds ridiculous, right? But everyone sort of matches the dollars, the, the dollars and years. But what these players now, you hear it all the time. They get six years into their career and some of them, have, they've either played in the playoffs and they're like, I need this. I need this to, 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 to you know, to, because this is what I'm used to or I've never done it. Four of the six years. Show to me. Show me right now. What What is it about your team that shows me that I'm going to be in the playoffs every four of the six years? You may not get there, but that's what they want. Yeah. And so that's what you have to prove to these free agents. I can think of one big free agent who will have exactly that top of mind. Shohei Otani, of course, will be all the talk of the offseason until he finds a new home. He was a big focus at the GM meetings in Scottsdale this week, but there was other business to get done as well. These meetings are generally an opportunity for first or early contact in terms of trades and signings, with major parts of teams' front offices and agents in attendance. Of course, there is media, too, and that included Ryan Divish from the Seattle Times, who was there when Jerry DePoto spoke with the media. Divish was a guest on Wyman and Bob on Tuesday, and he does indeed go into what the Mariners' needs are this winter. But before looking ahead, Bob wanted some clarification on what was a surprising move on Monday. Hey, Ryan, before we talk about what's happening out there, I want, I want to get your take on on uh, the Teoscar Hernandez thing, because I didn't have a great answer for it yesterday. People are going, well, why wouldn't they... They, they elected not to trade him at the trade deadline, which sort of implied they were either wanted him to stay or they wanted to at least get a draft pick out of him by extending a qualifying offer, which most felt like he wouldn't take because there's just not many bats out there outside of Otani and Bellinger, sort of the headliners, if you will, and then it's kind of everybody else. What, in your mind, did, well, first of all, did Jerry, I think Jerry spoke to the media. So what, what was his reason? And if he didn't explain, what do you think the reason was? Yeah, his reasoning kind of was is like 
you know, they're they're really trying hard to put out a, a lineup like next year that doesn't strike out quite as much. And, you know, that, you know, while he wouldn't blame tail for being the reason why they struck out a lot or struck out so much this year, I mean, he did strike out 211 times. I mean, Suarez struck out more than that, but like, you know, you had two guys that struck out 200 times and Julio's up there and then Kelnick and even Cal Raleigh. So like, you know, I think they just felt like it was a good start there where like, look, we're going to, we're going to try and find a, a right-handed hitter to maybe fill his role that doesn't strike out quite as much as he did, you know? And I think it's talking with other people that there was some thought that maybe he would accept it because it's 20 million. And if you look at it, like Jorge Soler, JD Martinez, um, Reese Hoskins, they didn't get qualifying offers. So they're automatically more attractive to teams. You know, you're going to sign them. I mean, because you don't have that draft pick attachment to it, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you, if you sign a guy that has a qualifying offer attached, you got you forfeit a draft pick, and then it's based on what that pick is, is based on you know how much you sign the guy for. So I think that was part of it. So like, I guess somewhere in the middle of all of that is like, if the Mariners we know aren't you know don't have an unlimited budget and they're working within the confines of a budget, do you really want to risk having to pay a guy twenty million dollars if you don't really like how he plays? Right. You know, so I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, are we, you know, do we really want to pay this guy 20 million, but we don't really like how much he strikes out and, you know, not plus defensively. And, and you know, he's kind of up and down. Right. So I think that's kind of the risk, the, the risk of him actually saying yes to it outweigh the, the draft pick that they might've got, which isn't, you know, that's also kind of um, dependent on how much the, the, they, the guy signs for, like how much Teoscar would have signed for, with a qualifying offer on him, you know, it determines how high the draft pick he gets. So it's not like you used to, I think it was a first round pick automatically. Right. But I mean, like, you know, a year ago, they could have done the same thing with Mitch. They didn't offer Mitch the qualifying offer. And he ended up getting a three year deal with the, with the Giants. So we'll see, you know, some team could panic and give Teo three or four years and the Mariners lose out on a draft pick. But then again, they got a bonus first round pick this last year because of Julio. And they got another bonus first round pick this competitive balance. So, I mean, I think that's that factor in as well. So what do you think the reason was to not trade him at the deadline? Was it about just not getting a good offer for him? Or was it about he's going to be crucial to us making a run? Or Because if they if they sort of felt this way about him, knowing, all right, we're not going to extend him a qualifying offer, we're not going to – we don't really want this to be part of our team moving forward, wouldn't you take something for him at the trade deadline? Or was it more about thinking he's going to help them make a push? Uh, I'm talking with some people – but I, from other organizations, they felt like the Mariners' asks were too high. But they shopped him, they shopped him, you know, to the, to the teams that needed him, but they were asking for too much in return for a guy that was essentially a rental and, you know, wasn't having the most productive season at that point. You know, and like a lot of teams didn't want to have to use him that much in the outfield. So you're, you're basically, you know, shopping a, a rental DH of sorts. And they felt like the Mariners were asking for too much. In return, so Divish, you know, what are you what are you doing down there? I mean, are they having uh, press conferences, or is uh, are you running into the Mariners down there? Tell us about like, you know, what uh, what your your daily work day besides the eighteen beers that you drink by the pool. What are you doing <laughs> during the day to to uh, get information for the Wyman and Bob show? Well, um, yeah, so I would call it loitering uh, mostly. <laughs> um, so the the uh, 
the meetings are at the Omni Resort, which is a resort that doesn't work in the Seattle Times budget for staying here. And, uh, you know, it's a very, I just saw that Miguel and Hal Jimenez, the golfer, walked by here, which is kind of wow. crazy. And Scott Boris, too. So it's like, but anyways, like, so this is a fancy resort. And there, there's this huge courtyard area here, you know, that's got like all the palm trees and stuff. You sit outside. And basically, it's a bunch of baseball writers standing outside waiting for agents or team employees to walk by so you can have conversations where you try to get information out of them and then they don't tell you much some of they do and then also so like and then each day they have availability so today was the american league gms so all the gms from all 15 uh, american league teams are out in the courtyard and there's just little groups and people are congregating around each of them asking questions so like you know and then there's a huge contingent of Japanese media here, obviously, with Otani being a free agent. So they're going around asking every GM about Otani. You know, it was all kind of, you know, so it's just a little bit of organized chaos. Like tomorrow, Scott Boris will talk. That always generates a crowd. You know, he'll have funny things to say about everybody and, you know, guys, that, his free agents that are available. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's like the winter meetings, but less chaotic because there's not as many, many media members here and there's not as much staff here. You know, I've talked to, I've seen, I've talked to Justin Hollander a little bit. I just saw Stephen Boat, uh, the new manager of the Cleveland Guardian. So there's, mm-hmm. there's people around. I haven't seen service yet, but you know, the Mariners have like a bunch of staff here. They, they have required meetings for MLBs that they have to be on. And each GM is on certain committees too. So they all, have, they have those kinds of things. And then, you know, obviously they're talking with agents and meeting with agents down here. And then also, you know, having some discussions with other teams about possible trades. Hey, I was, uh, before I ask you this, I got to say, one of your most recent tweets I thought was one of your best. Ryan tweeted out, if you think you have a new or funny reply involving 54%, you would be 100% incorrect. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that, was, that one's worn, worn thin on you that, already? That was solid work. That I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like... The, but there's no originality. I don't, you know, like if you think, you know, you have it first, somebody's already tweeted to me a long time ago, probably days ago. You know, so it's like, you know, it grows stale. Like I get like why I get why fans have latched onto it and they don't want to let it go. And then they have every right to be that way. But like, you know, to me, it doesn't matter to me. Like, I don't care. I'm not incensed by it. You know, um, I understood kind of when he was saying it at the time, I knew it was probably the wrong thing to say. But, like, you know, it, it just in the moment, you know, that, that's not what you're looking for. But I understand kind of the premise of what he was trying to say is, like, be good, you know, be better than average for 10 straight years. Because, you know, if that average is out to 54%, you're going to have years where you win 100 games maybe or 97 games and you're going to get in. And Like, just be good as long as you can. Just don't be bad. And so there's you know, still a lot of it. A lot of it is, like, buzzwords for the like owners and stuff love, you know, but – at the end of the day, that wasn't probably the best time and place for it, you know, and I'm sure he regrets it, but like nobody asked him about it today. Cause that was kind of what I wanted to see is like whether national media or these other outside media, it's cause it's all baseball media here. It's not local guys, whether they were going to ask him about it. Nobody did. So, so they're too busy asking about Otani. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment, but I'm just curious, you know, I, as you know, better than anybody, there's a lot of discontent amongst the fan base, amongst the fans, but mm-hmm. also in the clubhouse. I mean, we heard it. We were standing right there with Cal Raleigh. We we heard JP and Logan and Ty back him up. 
So Jerry's got a different dynamic sitting there with a, a fan base that's unhappy. That's one thing. But you got a clubhouse that I feel like is sitting back going, show me something. And to me, mm-hmm. this is the most consequential offseason in Jerry's tenure here. Would you would you agree with that? I think he's this is it. You got something to prove, not just to the fans, but to the guys that are currently in that clubhouse. And it better be better than what you did this past offseason. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think there there's I've never since I've been covering the team, never heard players speak out so publicly about the direction of the team. You know, I mean, it, you know, and it kind of started with Seeger and then Hanniger and Marco and those guys, but like these younger guys that have seen these other guys speak out a little bit, you know, and then they just voice their opinions more. Like they, they, they have, I mean, and what you like, to, if you're a Mariners fan, you want to hear that from your players, that they're, they're invested, that they're like, Hey, we want to win and we don't think that, you know, they're doing enough and we want them to do more. And it shows how much they want to win, you know, by like, but in, on some levels too, it's, you know, DePoto can't control all of that because he don't have control of the checkbook. You know, he, like anybody who doesn't think that he, anybody who thinks that he doesn't want to spend, I mean, you're an idiot. He wants to spend. He, he sees what, like, you know, I mean, he was on the angels. They, he gave C.J. Wilson a ton of money. They, he was the Angels' GM when the owner essentially signed Josh Hamilton and and Albert Pujols to these mega deals. So it's not like he's afraid of it. I think he's a little bit more reticent to do something like the Pujols deal, you know. But like he wants to spend. I mean, like they were ready to give, you know, um, Trevor Story 150 million or whatever it was. I mean, like they're not. He wants to spend the money, but he's working within the confines of a budget that sometimes I think is less than he expects. I mean, like we heard it after 20, we heard it after 21 and we heard it after 22. Like, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to use, we're going to spend, we're going to address these needs. And then what happens is, is like, he isn't greenlighted to spend as much as I think he anticipates at times, you know? And I, I mean, like we, you hear it from sources and, and like their, their ownership didn't give them as much as they thought they were going to get, you know? So then you have to work within the confines of the budget. And I think that's why we're looking at it. I mean, and I think it's also player by player deal. Like, you know, Shohei Otani doesn't factor into the Mariners' planning budget for 2024 in the sense that, like, he's a unicorn. Yeah, if you get him, then you adjust the budget to, like, if you're able somehow to sign him and you're giving him $55 million a year, okay, well, that's not, that's the luxury that we weren't expecting. We'll just throw that in. But, like, if, you know, you, you set a budget for, like, basic improvements to the team or whatever. And, and it, granted, like, I think it's been low. I think, they could have added more. They haven't done it. But I think that's the thing is he's working within the confines. Players don't necessarily understand that. But to the players, he is the conduit. Like, he's 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 the head of baseball operations. The next person is the ownership group. So to them, that's what he represents is the reasons, yes or no, why they add, you know. And that's that's the way the players look at it that way. Add, get better, you know, or don't take away. That's the way they look at it. They don't obviously see the bigger picture, the financial aspects of it, because that's not their purview. They only look at it in baseball terms. They don't want to worry about whether or not, you know, the team is, the team is, you know, financially stable. They just want to know that they're doing what it takes to win. Hey, Devish, how would you portray the relationship between guys like Cal Raleigh or JP with like management, you know, um, I'm assuming it's it's good with with service, and I know like Chuck Knox would always be like, "Hey, 
you know, this is the downstairs, that's the upstairs, I'm with you guys down here. But I'm like if when when Cal says something like that, I mean, does he get called into the office? Uh does yeah, how how do how does Jerry take that? What's the relationship there? Yeah, I don't think that you know, I don't know the relationship is probably more business based. I mean, it's like those guys are the bosses and you know, you're the employees, so you're not going to be best friends. I think, you know, after the Mather stuff and all that stuff went down, like players don't have a healthy trust of, you know, the higher ups anyways. It's just kind of how it is. You know, you don't really trust everything, but I don't think that that helped the Mather thing. I think that exposed a lot of the thinking. And at that point, Jerry represented you know, that group, you know, he's the, the general, he was the GM at the time and he was working directly under him. So that, you know, he's representing the ownership group or the front office group. And that, that relationship was very strained. You know, you throw in Graveman being traded and, you know, this year with seawalls and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I think that there's not great. And then like with Scott, the difference is too, is like, he's the extension of, of Jerry, you know, so many of the players just associate Scott and Jerry together. Whereas like they, you know, and they, those guys aren't like, best friends and share a brain they do they do uh they have their own differences a lot of times and they don't always get along like best friends like i think people think that you know jerry says jump and scott says how high no there's pushback a lot of times between the two of them you know and at times it's been very strange but you know players just view as all oh, scott's jerry's guy you know jerry we don't trust him so why would we always trust scott you know so again like nobody loves their bosses you know like you play for them or you work for them and, and that's the relationship. And I think that's what the, that's, you know, I think there's a, a solid working relationship, but I don't know that there's a level of trust, but I don't think that that's any different necessarily than any other organization. It just may be a little more strained in the Mariners organization at times. Ryan, do you think the outcome of the World Series changed the approach at all of ownership in terms of what they're I, – I just pictured John Stanton and Jerry Depoto watching the World Series together going, come on, Arizona. Come on, Arizona. Pull this out because that would strengthen their – hey, here's a team that's, you know, 21st in payroll that won the World Series. Instead, it was the team that Cal was pointing his finger to going, look at what they did. And, you know, basically yeah. that's how you do it And what happens? They go on to win the World Series, and two of the three guys they paid a truckload of money to are finalists for the MVP award in the American League. So you look at that going, yeah, it worked. It looks like money well spent. So do you think that outcome and, and, and the accolades and everything for those players they paid for changes anything for this ownership group? I It's hard to say. I mean, not only did they pay for those players, but then at the deadline when they knew their pitching wasn't very good, they went and got Jordan Montgomery and Max Scherzer and they, yep. they leveraged some of that to get stuff. So, yeah, I mean, like they, 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 they determined that the winning and I, I talk, actually asked Chris Young about that today, the Mayor's GM or the Rangers GM is, did he ever have to convince, you know, did he, at any point, did he have to really push on the ownership to um, provide resources, whether it's, you know, greenlighting these trades for money, taking on more money. He's like, no, no. He said they felt like they owed it to the fans to provide a winner, and this is the window, and we're going to try and win. Mm. He never, had, he never had to convince them that this is just what it was. So, yeah, I'm sure. Like, I mean, if it doesn't motivate you, then maybe you have to wonder, you know, like, what is your overall goal? Like, if that doesn't, if you're if you're watching your rival, a team that lost, you know, 97 or 100 games a couple a year ago or a couple years ago, and then all of a sudden they've shot past you and you've built this whole 
step back plan based on like trying to compete with the Astros and all of a sudden hell, the, the Rangers go right past you. Um, and you don't find that motivating, uh, then you're in the wrong business. I mean, honestly, I think that thing is like <laughs> sustainability is great, but if you're not, what do you, you know, it's what you're sustaining Are you sustaining like mediocrity or are you sustaining really good? I mean, like, and nobody's going to be good for 20 straight years, but you know, if you're good for six or seven, that's what you want. You want to be really good. You know, I mean, like there's going to be down points, if you, but like, that's, I get that should be the motivating aspect. I don't know if it is, you know, I don't know that they sit there and, you know, you're, they're drinking a Merlot or whatever and like <laughs> bitter and angry, but you know, you're well, are they, are they the only team that's not been in the world series? And like, again, like they, they made the postseason once in 22 years. So it's not like, you know, they've been good. Like, yeah, they won 90 games in, in 21, and they won 90 again in 22, and they won, what, 80, 89 this year. Like, that's pretty good. But it's one postseason, you know, haven't won a division title since 2001. I mean, like, where that's, you know, the motivation to get better and to be something, to be something better than good has to be there. Or else what are you doing it for? Yeah, but like, get out. If, if you don't want to win – like, if you view a pro sport, you know, and all pro sports franchises are making money, like, you know, the Mariners are worth billions. But, like, the point of owning one is to win. Not to make money. It's to win. You sure about you know, that? That's, yeah, I know. <laughs> and that's the thing is, like, again, you know, and I've said this before, said on your show, it's like, I think they want to win, but I don't think that they're – I think they really want to win. I, I, I believe they really want to win, but I don't think that they are willing necessarily to take the risks sometimes that, that helps push you over the top, you know, to put, put yourself at, you know, they ask their players a lot of times to make themselves uncomfortable in doing things differently to win games, you know, in their training, in their hitting, you know, this isn't what you've always done, but if you do this, it might seem uncomfortable, but ultimately you will be a better player for this. Like the Mariners have to put themselves in a, a position of discomfort at times, whether it's financially or, you know, player capital or whatever to get over the top, you know, because they, they, just, they can't. And like, you're looking at Texas and Houston. I'm not sitting there saying like, you know, you look at, if you went player for player roster for roster, other than Julio, maybe JP, at least in Houston, and Cal, like the other guys aren't starting for those teams, are they? No. You know, is Ty France starting at first base for those teams? No. Nope. starting third base for those teams? Julio, JP's better than Jeremy Pena, but he's not better than Corey Seager. I mean, he's better defensively. But, like, you know, Cal's better than the catchers that they have, and Julio's better. But, like, second base, you got platoon there. Third base, Suarez is 30, 31, 32, aging out. You know, left field, I mean, like, look at their outfield right now. You know, right now, if you, you had to go into the opening day, your starting outfield would be Canzone and left, Kelnick and right, and Julio in center. That's one superstar and then two prospects that have yet to prove anything. Yeah, by the and way, like, the... They're, they're, they're not far, they're farther away, I think, than I, I don't think they were a bad team last year. Like, I don't think they were horrible. They, they failed. They just weren't as good as the other teams. You know, their pitching's elite. But the rest of the, the team, the roster, is not as good as these other teams. Yeah, by the way, the Rangers in 2021 were 60-102. and 102. 
60 and 102 in 2021. And fast forward two seasons, World Series champs. You know, and the thing is, too, is like, yeah, it was, it's funny. It's like, they, it's not like they just paid for all free agents either. Josh Young, Leody Tavares, Ezekiel Duran, these are guys that they either traded for or, you know, did the, the Mariner style and developed them. And then they, they came in and, and contributed. I mean, uh, uh, the Evan, what's his name? The, the top prospect. I mean, look at how good oh, yeah. he was. I mean, like they, 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 it's not like they're getting, they're going to age out fast. You know, they're like Chris Young's talking about, we're going to have pitching. We're going to go get pitching. You know I mean? If you don't think that they're not going to like on a starting pitching market, free agent market, that's got some really good starting pitchers. If you don't think they're going to go out and try and get one of at least one of them, if not two, I mean, you're crazy because they won a world series. Now they got capital. You know, they got cashier, they got capital. They're going to go out and get guys. So it's uh, the Mariners are in an interesting spot. And I think, you know, I think they believe that they, they aren't far away. I'm a little more skeptical, but you know, then again, I, I think I picked the Diamondbacks to finish fourth in the uh, AL West this year. So what do I know? Yeah, well, so did most people. I mean, come on, they won 84 games. And, and, and that's the thing though, is like, that's the thing is like, one, they're a Seiya Suzuki drop ball away from not even making the postseason. Seiya Suzuki for the Cubs dropped that ball and wow, they lost the game. The Cubs basically ended the Cubs' chances. If he catches that ball, Cubs win. They might not, Diamondbacks might not get in. But like, it also, like, what the Diamondbacks did helps trying to push them along, the Mariners along. Is like, we just have to be good enough to get in because our pitching's so good. You know, and we kind of saw that last year, you know, with. In, in 22, like they got in and they, they really gave the Astros a run for their money. But again, they still weren't better than them. So they beat them. You know, it was like, yeah, we played the Astros tougher than anybody, but the, again, you didn't beat them. So I, I don't know. I, I just think that like they have some, they have some holes to fill. And I don't think that they're an Otani away from being really good. A lot of work to be done this year with a limited free agent market when it comes to offense. John Morosi of the MLB Network, who all week long was talking to GMs and team presidents, appears to have a good handle on what will be available both in trade and by dollars. As a weekly guest in Wyman and Bob, he was keeping his eyes open for the Mariners and in his 20-minute conversation gave several names he believes could help. Hey, so uh, some of the speculation of what the, the Mariners would do, one was Yandy Diaz, which I liked because he had one of the, the lower whiff rates in, in all of Major League yes. Baseball. Is is that uh, something? How, what's your uh, – and you look at – I think that you, you had uh, the stat that there was 82 strikeouts with runners in scoring position or something like that, So and that led the league. So he – he seemed to, to fit in that way. What do you think are the, the chances of a trade of that magnitude? Well, I, I do think that the, the Rays in general are open for business. And whether yeah. it's Yandy Diaz, whether it's Manuel Margot, who, if you look at his numbers, had a really strong finish the regular season, I, I believe that the Rays will be in the market to move some position players in an effort to get less expensive pitching in. And if they do that, then they, maybe they're able to move Tyler Glass now or some other moves, they have to be mindful of their payroll. They always do, unless and until they get a new ballpark. Um, and obviously they're hopeful that that's going to happen, but it's not going to happen in 2024. So uh, they've got to uh, plan for that reality. And, and Yadi Diaz, as you know, you saw him out there in Seattle during the All-Star game. Really valuable player. And and Jerry Depoto was very candid yesterday. I was speaking with him, and he said, we need to get better contact hitting. We need to be in the zone more often. And while he's not going to tell you exactly chapter and verse of who he's looking at 
uh, Yanni Diaz is precisely the kind of guy the Mariners need. Now, uh, I was I ran this by a GM today. I said, "Hey, just a, a quick question here. Who would say no if if the Rays said, okay, Jerry Depoto, we would trade you Yandy Diaz for Logan Gilbert?'" And he said he believes the Mariners would say no quickly to that. Obviously, it wasn't Jerry Depoto who I asked that question. It was more of just, <laughs> "Hey, I'm calibrating calibrating my pricing here. What do you what do you think about this?" Uh, so. Would it be more likely if you looked at a Bryce Miller or a Brian Wu? Perhaps. I think those are names that are a bit more available. Um, and I would say, obviously, Kirby is off limits. I mean, he's he's a guy that you want to keep around for a long time. So uh, I think Gilbert is the guy that, that if a team really gets creative and gives the Mariners multiple pieces, they would have to think about. I'm always wary about trading pitching. Uh, and yet you look at this team, guys, and, and they were – one more stable bat in their lineup away from making the playoffs, period. That's what they were. That, that's how, the, how close they were. And they have to honestly bring in more offense to just get back to where they were when they had Teoscar out there. So they've got some work to do. Obviously, Otani is the name that we all want to talk about, and I, I do think the Mariners are somewhere in that conversation. We've talked about that before. Uh, I would not describe them as a favorite uh, I, I think that they're probably in that conversation of five or six teams with a realistic chance of getting him. But uh, I, I, I think that the Mariners have to proceed as if they're not going to get him and perhaps uh, pursue aggressively some trade options. And honestly, if they brought in Yanni Diaz in a trade, that would in no way preclude them from signing Shohei Otani as well. One other uh, piece that I saw that you did, or a statement from you anyway, is that you felt like the Mariners could be in, or maybe are in, in discussions anyway about uh, Juan Soto or Pete Alonso. What I think you yeah. said, fifty-fifty chance for these teams, and the Mariners were one of them. What, what's what's the reality, and what would the what would the price tag be in that scenario? Because you got guys that are coming toward the end of their contract, so. You, you, I don't know. Are they willing to give up a ton for somebody they're not certain is going to be here past a year? How, what do you think happens there? Right, great question. And again, I would say for them, especially, you know, Diaz has a little bit more control than 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 they do. Of course, they both have just one year left. I I look at that and say, you are definitely not going to give up Gilbert for one year of Alonzo or Soto, as great as both of them are. But again, I think you would have to start entertaining ideas there in that Miller and Wu area. Um, those in the Padres, I think they're they're really willing to to make some moves. Uh, there are plenty of reports about their payroll situation. They're not close at all on signing Soto, so you have to assume that you're not going to be able to sign him. And in light of that, you've got to listen on him. You have to. And, and the Padres have basically acknowledged that much that if they don't feel like they're going to be able to sign Soto long-term, they have to listen on him. So they're basically taking that approach right now. Pete Alonzo, same thing. The Mets, um, they've got a new president of baseball operations, David Stearns, who needs uh, to really chart his own course. Now, we know Steve Cohen can afford anybody that he wants, and, and he's shown that already. But it sure seems to me that that the first the first big move for David Stearns is probably not going to be signing a mega extension with Pete Alonso. It's just not, not what he's done. It's not been his track record. He, he did go longer term with Yelich. He did go longer term with Lorenzo Cain, 
But that was when he felt like he had a real chance to win the division. You know, David Stearns is a very, very rational, clear-eyed thinker. And when you look at the National League East right now and the Braves and the Phillies, I'm not sure how the Mets would look at that and say, yeah, I've got a great chance to finish out of both of them. So I, I think Alonzo is out there and available. And again, the Mariners have the Mariners have the access to any conversation they want to have on trades. If you're a Mariner fan who wants your team to go for it, this is the kind of year when you should have that, that expectation. And when you have pitching like they've got, you are supposed to be aggressive. You really are. And, and that's why Alonzo, uh, Soto, Yanni Diaz, take your pick. Any, any hitter who is, who is a reasonable trade candidate, the Mariners can have access into that conversation. They may not, may not be able to meet the price they're being asked for those guys because the prices are going to be high. But the Mariners have the pitching that you want, and they also have a team that's good enough that merits that level of improvement. Hey, uh, John, another another guy you mentioned as a potential for the Mariners to make a trade for would be uh, second baseman of the Cincinnati Reds, Jonathan India. And not watching a lot of Reds games, I'm just looking at his numbers, and he's, he's shown that he's got some pop. His first full season hit 21 home runs. His second year, he only played 103 games, and then this most recent season, only 119. Is he an injury guy, or what? what what's going on with his playing time? A little bit of injury uh, issue for him this past year, but in general, he's been a relatively durable player throughout his professional career. Loves the game, loves to play. Uh, I think he fits a lot of what the Mariners are looking for. Um, and they're a team in Cincinnati that they've got Christian Encarnacion Strand playing third, Spencer Steer at first, uh, the amazing Elliot De La Cruz at shortstop, and Matt McLean at second. So they've got four young cornerstone-type position players. Now they could flex Spencer Steer out to the outfield. They could rotate him through DH. They don't have to make that move, but they can. And and it's a very clear fit. They they need probably one more credible starting pitcher. Um, and obviously, as you know, they've made a lot of moves with the Mariners in the past. I was kind of joking with some different uh, people around the industry. Hey, it's been a, at least a few months since the last Reds-Mariners deal. What's going on? Like, they've forgotten each other. They've lost somebody's phone number. We got to figure this out, but it's true. I mean, there's there's a natural fit there, and and I I do think that's one of the one of the conversations that we're going to hear a lot about. It, it didn't sound like it's been very aggressive at the moment in terms of actual detailed conversations, but your assessment is spot on. India, not a perfect player, um, and there were some trade rumblings about him in the past year, but he is definitely someone who fits the Mariners' needs. I think maybe there are some guys a little bit ahead of him in the, in, in the conversation, partially because, you know, Ty France had an, has had some amazing moments in the Mariner uniform, but it just seems pretty clear to me that first or third, depending on what you want to do with Suarez, there are places where you can upgrade with this team and even the DH spot. So I, I think that, that it's much easier to find a bat at first than a bat at second. And, and you could potentially bring in a Pete Alonzo or a, a Juan Soto, who kind of regressed a little bit last year, Soto did. Uh, it, it maybe is easier to do that than it is to, to find exactly the right up-the-middle player and think about how acquiring an India could potentially impact your defensive club as well. JP, what, uh, how would you portray 
most of the relationships between the managers and the GM. I was just thinking about Scott Service and and Jerry Depoto and and actually now it's it's not him. He's now the 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 president of operations and all that. But I mean, just in general around the league, is is the relationship between Jerry and Scott pretty pretty typical of of how that relationship is in most major league baseball towns? I think so. It's and I really believe the relationship there is pretty solid. There's there's always going to be a give and take. There's always going to be times where the GM wants one player and the manager wants the other, and and the constant battle of 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 who who gets to to win that argument. There's a famous story, uh, GM and manager to remain unnamed in this particular story, but there was a time when uh, <laughs> when when a GM was let go. This is a long time ago when a GM was let go and the manager was kept and, and the reaction after the GM realized that, that only the GM was being fired and the manager was not being fired. uh, He famously said to the owner of the team, quote, and he stays, end quote. (laughs) He stays. That was just one of the all time great stories. I wish I, I, it it may be out there who that was. And I probably can't say, but I don't know. It's just, it's one of my favorite lines. I was saying, and he stays and he stays. (laughs) Uh, And and listen, so that's been going on since the beginning of time um, where, where there are arguments over who should be on the team, even on teams that win that happened. Mm. And I was actually looking back at this right now. Scott service is one of the longest tenured managers in baseball. Think about that for a minute. I think in the American league, he may be the second longest tenured manager with his current team. There's not a lot of guys that have done it as long as Scott has done it with one place. And that's, that's pretty important. When you think about this division, let's, let's think about the American league West. I, I would say this years, years in the job with the current team in the American league West, Ron Washington just got hired today. Uh, the, the Astros are still looking for a manager. Kotze's been on a job for a number of years now, a couple of years there with, with Oakland. Um, and then I, obviously you look at the, the Rangers, Bruce Bochy in one year. If you, added, if you added up the tenure of the other four teams in the division, current managers, it does not equal what Scott Service has done with one team. So it's, that tells you that they've actually had a pretty good relationship. You know, if, if there was anything kind of uh, you know, discordant with the way they conducted things, it would have been apparent long before now. They've got a pretty good, pretty good thing going. They really do. Um, you know, there was a lot of, obviously, a lot of antipathy between AJ Preller and Bob Melvin. That's one of the reasons why Bob Melvin's now managing the Giants and not the Padres. So that that happened, uh, and we just saw the stunning news this week about Craig Council going to the the Cubs. So these are high stress jobs, and there's a lot of pressure involved in the way these jobs are are conducted and the pressures that that go into it. Um, I've got a lot of respect for people that deal with it every day, and that to me is 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 the thing you know there are every now and then when there are managerial openings that come up and you hear about guys stepping in the dugout who haven't been doing it every day and it's it's hard i i love that the angels hired wash i think that that was a job for either wash or buck walter a veteran a veteran manager with a team that's got a lot going on these are long days and and if you're not careful you're burned out before you play your 15th game of spring training. These are long, long days and the job never ends. And I think that that's something that you got to keep in mind that I've, I just got amazing respect for the GMs and the managers that do it every day because 
uh, you can just see the toll it takes on these people. It's not an easy job, and there's a lot of pressure everywhere. You saw Brian Cashman's comments yesterday, uh, maybe a little spicy language defending his team. He deals with it every day. Brian Cashman has to answer for his performance in New York on on January 15th and and November 15th and July 15th and every day in between. And I, I've always got a lot of respect for Brian for that. John, quickly, before we let you go, just any other rumors you're hearing attached to the Mariners? I, you know, One that I read on Twitter, I can't remember who posted it, but something about the Blue Jays having interest in Gino Suarez. I'm not sure if the Mariners are making it known that he's available or not, but uh, have you heard that or anything else related to the Mariners? Yeah, that report came from Shai Davidi, who's one of the best in the business. A uh, ton of respect for Shai. And I, I think that, that that is a very interesting report. I think that the Mariners would have to be willing to, to engage on him because you it's not just a matter of, of adding in uh, your, your less strikeout-prone bats uh, necessarily to different positions. It, it's also maybe eliminating some that are strikeout-prone. I'm a huge Geno fan. Love what he brings, love his positivity and his energy, but he strikes out a ton. And, and you know, if he's your one guy who strikes out a bunch, you can live with it. But if you've got like three or four guys that strike out a lot, the way the Mariners do, it becomes a problem. And, and that's where if, if you, for example, if you move him, then that frees up a spot at third base where he could go with more of a contact-oriented bat. Um, and then maybe you find a way to sign someone like Reese Hoskins, who we now know is not going not gonna to come back to the Phillies because they've got Harper playing first base. A lot of really interesting pieces there, and I, I would tend to look at uh, different options that you've got to move some pieces around, and, and they've, they've got enough guys with power who strike out. You want to get some more guys in who, who bring a unique skill set, and I think that in and of itself probably makes Gino a bit more expendable now than he was a year ago. The Suarez rumor is an interesting one and kind of makes you wonder how different this club could look when everything shakes out. It's no secret, however, they've got to improve the contact. And as I said, I'm bumping Stacy this week. It was good to finally hear DePoto and Service admit that at the end of this season. I was also happy to hear DePoto from the GM meeting say he could be inclined to go more with a full-time DH if it was the right player. I noted that in a piece I had on Seattle Sports this week on a different direction, I believe, should be an option. It was a post that if you just read the headline, Dreyer, Mariner's path to off-season success, it's more pitching, your response was probably, oh, heck no. Hopefully you read the piece. Look, I can't sit here and tell you the Mariners are going to get Otani or Bellinger or Soto or any of the big starry names that are or could be available. If they do, fantastic. Let's go. But one way or another, offense is going to be added. Will it be enough remains to be seen. It is a thin market, and trading for bats in this day and age, it's never an easy thing. It's not as easy as most want to think. Bats are at a premium, and if you have them, significant different makers, you're probably not giving them up. That said, you still have to improve this club. But for me, it's not an either-or. It's not bats or pitching. It's both. Adding arms for me is an and, and it should be in this market. You've probably heard the thought of perhaps signing a free agent arm and then trading one of your young guys for a bat. That's not what I'm talking about here. There are no guarantees that the trades will happen. What I'm talking about is purely ad. I don't care that with Marco Gonzalez you're returning six big league starters. I'm getting greedy here and leaning into what was a strength for five months last season with the fact that it was just five months, the reason why I want more. 
to make something abundantly clear. I am not putting the Mariners failing to make the postseason on the pitchers. They did everything they could. They carried this team for most of the season. The Mariners have exciting arms and truly were the team that other teams did not want to face in the postseason if they made it because of those arms. But those who were believing that, I feel, really needed to take a closer look. It wasn't just the offense that fell apart in September. Mariners pitching as a staff put up the second-worst war and 12th-ranked fielding independent pitching in the American League that month. The rotation was only slightly better than the pen in that time, with the rotation coming in 13th in war and the pen registering a negative .2 for the month and a FIP of almost 5. What happened? They won't admit it, but it sure looked to me like they ran out of gas. The great depth that they had at the beginning of the year was gone by mid-June, and make no mistake, they had great depth in pitching going into the season. They also lost a top leverage arm as it was taken from the pen at the deadline and not replaced. Then you had your young guys who were wildly talented but wildly inconsistent, particularly in the month of September, and that's not to be unexpected with guys with their experience. Your number one had two disastrous starts that month and really didn't look as sharp as he did the previous September and October. I look at all of that and see great opportunity for improvement, and that's improvement starting from a high level. But if it's worth a couple more wins and a fresher staff when it matters most, why wouldn't you do it? In the post, I take it one step further and ask for something that I was asking for this time last year. I want to see a six-man rotation. It's not something you'd have to do all year, but I think it could benefit them in the long run. It's something they did two years ago in Houston, and that helped. For that matter, the Astros, who are returning six starters this season, are said to be looking to add another starter. Their thought is, when you plan on playing an extra month of the season, and make no mistake, with travel and the intensity of that time, that month is unlike any other. It is crazy. It is exhausting. It is taxing. Now, if the Mariners were to add a starter and do this, that would leave them with seven. My thoughts are I'd be okay with starting Miller or Wu in the minors. I think either could benefit from a lower-pressure environment to start, and in Wu's case in particular, perhaps even have his innings managed. If you still don't like that idea, well, there's no guarantee everyone makes it through spring training in the first place or the first start of the season, as we saw this year. The bottom line is if you go with the six-man rotation, in addition to giving everybody that extra rest early on in the season and helping out your young guys, you're starting the season with that depth that you need already built in. We're talking about a quality starter. That's not a guy that you can just stash at AAA. Those guys, they sign big league contracts. They start seasons on big league rosters. If you want him, he's got to be starting in the big leagues. If you've got a six-man rotation, boom, there's your extra depth in addition to your young players. To me, it just seems like a way not just to help the entire pitching staff, but to improve it. Just some thoughts on a way to improve the club that perhaps is more controllable than trying to chase down bats. Again, it is not an either-or. I would love to see both. Okay, moving on. My piece can be found on seattlesports.com, as can a number of Mariners posts by myself, Brent Stecker, and Brandon Gustafson, who joined Bump and Stacy Wednesday and gave his thoughts on what he would like to see this winter. Oh, man. I mean, the, the Otani thing is it, it writes itself. Right. But it, it kind of goes beyond that. It's if, if they're genuinely interested in Shohei Otani and, and you say, like, let's just say Shohei gets 50 million a year annually from whichever team that is. Right. Because money's not going to be a problem for Otani. If he if he tells you he wants to go to your team, you're yeah. going you're going to pay up for him. But if the Mariners are genuinely interested in Shohei Otani, and let's say it's that 50 million dollar mark just to have a number out there. If they get close to the finish line, but don't get him. 
are you still comfortable giving your front office that money to go spend like that much money or are you restricting it down to me that's one of the big questions because i i do think that there's probably going to be genuine interest it's they were very interested in him when he came over in the first place i think a lot of people said they were probably runner-up or or bronze medal you know behind the angels for for getting him locked up so if they make a legit run at him and they're willing to give him that money if they don't get him i would still like to see them be willing to go out there and spend at least close to what you would have been giving him in a single season would you be willing to give us some young arms to go get a big talent it depends on the arm like what arms are you willing to give up i'm not willing to give up kirby or gilbert i'm not um i'd probably top of my list like in terms of giving him up i'd probably give up miller over Wu. i -hmm. think if Wu can hold up over an entire season i just think the secondary stuff is better than bryce miller's is at this point i think miller is one of those guys where you can kind of comfortably say like he's a number four or five starter which is still really valuable but he's someone who's going to go out there he's going to flirt with a quality start most of the time but because he's so fastball dependent and so in the zone He's a little bit more prone to, I think, blowups and just getting hit around than maybe Wu is long term. So if someone out there is interested in a Bryce Miller or a Brian Wu and you can bring back, whether it's like a Soto or a Pete Alonso and it's just a one year rental, but it's like a legit star type talent. Absolutely. I'm and, and Marco Gonzalez and Emerson Hancock reportedly being ready for spring training helps me think that way, too. That's seven legit MLB starters with Robbie Ray on the horizon. So I would be more than comfortable giving him of one of those two. If it brings back a star level bat like that or someone who is younger, but still relatively proven like a like a Nolan Gorman with St. Louis. Kind of like a big existential question about team identity and, and how they want to build. Um, during the postseason um, press conference, Jerry DePoto and Scott Service were like, we need to make more consistent contact. Mm-hmm. We struck out way too much. We need to fix that. Then we see the first big move they make um, being to essentially part ways with Teoscar Hernandez, not extend him a qualifying offer. Teoscar struck out more than any other Mariners player except for Gino. So you can make the correlation that's really easy between like, look, they're moving, they're moving away from players that strike out a lot or they clearly don't want to look for that player. Do you think something has fundamentally changed in how they view how they want to build? Because last year they were they they viewed Teoscar, I think, as their big offseason acquisition. Like that was the big piece that they were adding to bolster that lineup. And Teoscar didn't fundamentally change as a player. He he struck out a lot when he was, you know, with, right. with the Blue Jays. But it seems like maybe they're changing their take on the type of player that they want. Yeah, I, I think it kind of goes back to what you said about being like risk averse. I think that they were willing to have a lot of those guys in the lineup with that kind of power. Yeah. But they but with that kind of strikeout, like they thought they would have enough to offset it. And with, with Gino, it's not just the power typically, but it's the walks. He was, I think, top 10 in walks in 2022. Didn't really have that same kind of number in 2023. So I think part of it was they, they thought there was going to be enough with that extra stuff with this with the slug, with the walks to kind of offset a lot of that. Teoscar doesn't really walk. He never has. He probably never will be that kind of guy, but he was a guy that was always 500 plus slug and he just didn't have that. I mean, Gino had a sub 400 slug. Josh Rojas slugged more than Gino Suarez. Dylan Moore slugged more than Gino Suarez this past year. So when you have enough of those key guys in the middle of your lineup that just aren't contributing even close to the level that that you need them to, it's a big problem. But I think, yeah, just they I think they think they have enough guys that can get on base and can do enough like a JP at the top of the lineup. You know, Julio's a star level player. Cal played really, really well this past season. I think they feel they have enough guys that can kind of get on base fairly consistently. They just need guys that can put the ball in play. And there were too many instances of just, you know, first and third, second and third, nobody out, one out, 
you strike out, and then that takes this out of play. You know, it takes a ground ball to the second baseman out of play for scoring a run. It takes a sacrifice fly out of play yeah. for scoring a run. And I think that just having that more consistent contact, yeah, they they need less guys that strike out. That that that's really obvious. But I think it goes back to kind of what you said, just risk averse. I think that they're maybe a little bit more on their on their heels about like, okay, we can offset the power or we can offset the strikeout with the power. Maybe they're not just quite as confident about that. It sounds like there might be a philosophy change going on here a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. And you think that's for better or for worse? Oh, for better. I mean, the thing is, dominating the zone like like they, they preach, they obviously didn't do that this past year because you, you struck out too much, you didn't work enough walks, you didn't homer. I think some people think that dominate the zone, control the zone, whatever they want to call it, right, it is, is so dependent on walks versus strikeouts. It's, it's, it's mostly about doing damage on on your hot zones, on your pitches. Like some guys like the ball down, some guys like the ball up, some guys like the ball away in whatever. It's more about getting to good enough counts, you know, winning first pitch, winning 1-1 counts. Those are the two most important counts statistically in baseball, our first pitch and a 1-1 count. Winning those counts to get the pitches that you can handle is a big part of it. And that that part's not going to change. It's just they they found themselves behind 0-1, 0-2, 1-2, so often, whether it's because they were too aggressive, they were chasing too much, but they they do need to there there does stand to be maybe a little mo- bit more patience, but there also stands to be guys that maybe are aggressive early in counts, but actually put the ball in play because they have a better idea of what they're doing. Up uh, there. Brandon, feel free to say no. Be honest with us. Are you okay to hang out for uh, maybe seven more minutes? Sure, here? let's Is do that it. Cool. Okay, because oh, yeah. now we're getting some questions from listeners. Okay. So. Uh, we're going to head and uh, Matt, we're going to blow through headline rewrites and we're just going to stick with Brandon here for a little bit longer. Um, someone said, uh, can we talk about who's next up from the minors? Is Bliss making the team? Now, when we talk about internal improvement, I think all of us would say we would love to see them make additions in free agency or via trade, but they are going to have new faces just naturally through development. Yeah, for sure. So who are you looking at? There? Yeah, Bl- Bliss would probably be the top guy. He he was the third piece of the Seawall trade. He's the one piece that we didn't see at the MLB level. We saw Canzone. We saw Josh. Rojas and those two guys you assume are probably going to make the roster uh yeah Bliss is someone who I think will probably contend for an opening day spot I think he probably still starts the year in AAA but wouldn't surprise me if we're in May June and it's more of a situation where he and Rojas are platooning at second Dylan Moore goes back to kind of that super utility role um he's probably the next guy outside of that it's going to take a little bit. A lot of the guys that they have were, were guys that were in high A or, or low A, like their recent draft picks. But, you know, Harry Ford and Cole Young, those guys probably don't debut this year. They might get a little close. I think Cole Young's maybe a little farther along just at the plate than Harry Ford is. And that's partly because Harry Ford's a catcher and has a lot more to do and work on overall in his game because of that. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of like bigger name type guys, Ryan Bliss is probably the first big name prospect that you're going to see. 425 is hype. They go, yes, he knows baseball. <laughs> ask him that's about, that's that. all they Thank said. You. That's Thank all they you. said. Ask him about Yamamoto, please. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, Brandon I, is a former player. Yeah, he, he is someone who I think it, there's a strong case to be made. He's probably the second best free agent in the class, like legit three, four pitch guy. It, to me, what was really telling was that multiple, multiple MLB GMs went over to Japan during the season to watch this guy pitch live. I thought that was awesome to, to see he's going to command a ton of money i saw contract projections where he's making 30 million a year at just coming over Goodness to the gracious. states right away so he's someone that'll probably depending on the team profile of right in at the top of your rotation maybe a little under i'd look at maybe the phillies because there's a good chance they lose Aaron Nola, but 
they got Yamamoto, that'd be a pretty good, uh, pretty good consolation prize. Mm. That, that's for sure. He's going to have a big market, I think. Uh, you know, maybe related uh, to uh, this in our conversation in general about improving uh, from the outside. Shannon had a take yesterday that, like, hey, this isn't a great market for hitters. I know people are calling for you to spend in a way that you didn't in the last two years, but right. like, you can't really make up ground because it's a different class. So, what if you just try to become really elite with pitching? What do you take about that approach? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's part of what they've tried to do, and that's part of because of the ballpark they play in. I know everybody hates talking about ballpark factors and like, oh, T-Mobile Park is everybody else hits there but them. But, I mean, it, it's true. It's, it's a pitcher-friendly park, and we've heard them at times say that they want to be a run prevention team. Part of that is defense. you got to have a really good, sound squad behind you defensively. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, again, I, I think that if they were to part ways with a, with a Woo, with a Miller, and go out there and – kind of stun people with like a Jordan Montgomery or you know I would personally love this because I I know him and his family but Blake Snell <laughs> coming back up to Seattle uh, would be would be really really cool to see and that would I, I think right now the Mariners have as good of a one through three trio at the top of their rotation with, with Castillo and Kirby and Gilbert that's what would have made them so especially dangerous in the playoffs this past year but if you had like a fourth legit all-star borderline all-star type guy yeah, you're a team that nobody wants to see because no matter what series, whether it's two game, three game, four game, you're almost certainly going to see one of those top arms. Going off of kind of what you said, uh, Nelson and Kent says, I think Snell will be great. Make the pitching even better than use Miller and Hancock to go get a bat. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hancock's interesting because I don't know what his value is compared to a Miller or Wu, mostly because we saw him for what, two, three starts, I think it was. And he had a lot, a lot of, of shoulder issues in the minors. So that's part of why it took him a little bit longer than Miller and Wu, even though they were drafted a year after him. But yeah, again, if, if you can get a Miller or a Wu and turn that into a legit guy that's hitting in the top three or five in your lineup, like I think you do that. And, and part of it also is again, what we heard at the end of the season, like, the core guys on your team are ready to compete and compete at a high level. It would it would stink to part with guys like that, but at the same time, it's very clear that the priority for this team is needing to improve the lineup, and the best way outside of free agency that you can do that is to part with what surplus you do have, which is right now good, young, controllable starting pitching. Uh, one of the things that's kind of going under the radar is maybe some coaching changes. Obviously, they lost Stephen Vogt, who's now manager for the yeah, Guardian. Good for him. What, I know. What what a quick ascension, God. man. Good for him. But uh, it sounds like they're looking to add maybe a hitting coach to pair with DeHart. Yeah, Tony Arnrich is moving to the bullpen coach, which yeah. I thought was interesting because that's that's more of what a, of a pitcher-catcher role type of deal. and. Yeah, I, again, if, if we're talking philosophy, maybe that's part of it, too. Maybe maybe they like what Tony has to offer on the pitching side of things, and they think that adding someone in there that maybe views things a, a little bit in a different way. I mean, I think we've talked about this before. Like, messaging can be the same, but if you maybe word it a little bit differently, maybe it clicks for a guy. Maybe that's kind of what they're going for, just a little bit of a shakeup because – you know, they, they those two have kind of run their hitting, I think, since 2020, maybe even 2019. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they, having Tony still on staff, it's not like he can't go talk to go talk to hitters at any point, And I'm sure that he's still going to. But, yeah, that, that definitely caught my eye. Seeing him be the, the guy that's going to go out there to the bullpen. That was definitely noteworthy. What's the future of uh, Marco in this whole deal? Yeah, I, I think he's somebody who if you traded a Wu or a Miller, I think he probably 
at least for the time being, would slot in as your fifth guy, assuming he's healthy, and that's kind of what DePoto seemed to hint at. It's it's not bad to have. I mean, you you know who he is. Like, the Mariners know him better than anybody, and he's the longest-tenured Mariner by a few years now, which is kind of weird to think about, but you know he's going to go out there. He's going to just pound the zone. You know what he is. You know what he isn't. You know that he's going to compete his tail off for you. Um, you know, is it the sexiest fifth starter that you could possibly have? No, but if they if they traded one of those guys to get a bat and they're not able to fill it with a bigger name free agent starter like a Snell or Jordan Montgomery or an Aaron Nola or something like that, then you'd still be feeling all right. Last but not least, some fun on Thursday. With Mike Salk out on a golf vacation, Aaron Goldsmith graced our studios for three hours with Brock Heward that morning. The full podcast of the show can be found on our podcast page, and I highly recommend listening to the whole thing. Aaron doesn't need a baseball game to be entertaining, and he and Brock have a great relationship, having done college football games together. There was, of course, some baseball talk, and it was interesting to get Goldsmith's takes. I'll share a few here, starting with Brock asking Goldsmith for some behind-the-scenes thoughts on Mariners culture. Culture. I didn't think that that would be the theme necessarily of the day, but this is the beauty of this medium, Aaron, kind of like a baseball game. You never know how it unfolds. But culture has been at the forefront. You ask Kaylin DeBoer about it. We talk about it with Mark Sanchez. How would you, before we get into Cal and JP and some of that stuff, how would you characterize the culture of this Mariners organization, team, Scott's crew that you've been around? I think the culture has, in the last probably like three years, kind of taken a quantum leap. You know, my, uh, my mom moved to Seattle last winter, and she moved from a – I don't know, like a four-bedroom house with an office and a big garage to a two-bedroom townhouse, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think she knew that she was moving to that small of a house based on the truck, the moving truck that pulled up to her new house here in (laughs) Seattle. And so we had a two-car garage that when I say it was packed, I mean like top to bottom, left to right, I'm, like you needed a headlamp to get through this thing. When you were in the back of the garage, you could not see the garage doors, right? Mm. And so, like, if anybody's been a part of something like this, when you're moving a family member or just moving a friend, and in this case, you're downsizing dramatically, I mean, it took us weeks, mm. right? Because you're going through stuff. We're keeping this. We're donating this. Does this fit? Let's move it out. Let's move it back in the garage. The whole thing. We all know what that's like. Yep. And I would say for easily two weeks, if not three weeks, that garage looked like nothing had changed like you're going out there every day and you're, and you're saying have we not been taking truckloads out and if it was like a real life thing for me because probably around the three-week mark you started to see a change like oh okay like that whole bin is like half gone now and then after a month it starts to snowball mm-hmm. right it starts to really gain traction mm-hmm. and in two months it's clear mm-hmm. but it took so much time to get things moving mm. and to make a difference and to see an impact. And I think one of the things that the Mariners organizationally have going for them right now is that they've been through that. Right? They have this overall staff, mm-hmm. both in terms of the uniform personnel, Scott Service, his coaching staff, but also the people behind the scenes in a baseball op standpoint that you don't see, you don't hear about, but are so influential on – Everything from player acquisition to in-game strategy, right? That group has been with each other Hmm. for so long now. That now the processes and the culture, it's all moving together in the right direction. And everybody is hand in hand. I think when when you're establishing something new, when you are establishing a culture in this case, 
First, you you got to have people get on the same page, mm-hmm. right? And then you're going to fail. Like the, the Mariners, like any other organization, failed behind the scenes in trying to figure out the best ways to plan for a bullpen execution, right? The best way to do X, Y, and Z, because the only way to figure out if it works is to throw it against the wall. And now, not that they're doing everything perfectly, no team is, but they have figured out what mm. works best for them by and large. Mm. And I think that has been reflected by the wins and losses the last three years. You know, it's interesting as you share that. Uh, again, my weird mind goes to a place as we discussed the Cal comments and the JP comments that I never went to a month ago or two months ago or whenever that was. But as you lay that out, that yeah, the foundation is there. The core is there. The stability is in place. We have fully moved in. It's a fully bloomed and, and established culture. And when you have something like that, guess what? Cal feels like he can say then, okay, this is all here. Now let's take the next step. The JP is like, hey, yeah, that's all here. Let's take the next step. To use your analogy of the garage, like, yep, the garage is now taken care of. Now let's add, you know, a couple little nice components to your new two-bedroom townhome. Let's, sure. let's, you know, not take the old, but let's actually spruce it up with something really nice, Mom. Let's, let's get you something here for your place that, you know, that actually in some ways maybe now that it's been a while, can you look back at that and go, actually, that's fairly healthy. When people can vocalize within your established house and say, I want more. And also, those guys, let's take Cal in particular, he's not going to say those things if he's not a good player. Like, you're not, if you don't speak up like that unless you don't carry your own water, right? And and Cal is carrying a lot of water for the Mariners and has been for two years now. And JP has gone from a down and out failed prospect. He was a number one prospect for a major market team for five straight years. Mm. And to everybody in Philadelphia was a bust. And they were happy to say good riddance. Mm -hmm. And he's turned into a cornerstone piece of uh, what has been a really good franchise the last few years. So, yes, the culture has been set, I believe. And it is a stable place. And you have so many things you can hang your hat on. But, yeah, now they got to figure out a way to get over that hump because, as you pointed out earlier, and as we all know, you got two major dogs in your own division, and the Angels are always thinking it's going to happen, uh, and it hasn't. Yep. But it's not an easy division by any means. Nope. Uh, can I hear this cut? Um, w- would you mind cut number six here uh, with John Morosi talking about that behemoth, that Rangers team that won the World Series and what that meant? Uh, this was <laughs> kind of curious how much how much bang for the buck that Rangers run all the way to a World Series title gave and may empower and infuse that Rangers team. Here was Morosi yesterday with the guys from the GM meetings. All of those revenues associated tend to be about a million dollars per game in terms of revenue. Now, obviously, you still have to pay out. There's overhead in terms of ballpark staff, et cetera. But it is a meaningful amount of money. It is a non-trivial sum, especially when you get all the way to the end. There also has been, I have to go back and look at exactly what the CBA says. It's interesting. There, there was at least a time in the game, and it may still be true, that once you get through, uh, once you get into the if necessary games, that that's when some more of the, uh, uh, the money ends up going more to the team. Mm. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. That Texas setup's pretty cool. I got to experience Big 12 Media Days was down there, so we stayed. Is it a Lowe's that's right mm-hmm. there by the ballpark? And it, you walk, it's like a casino. 
Like it has a, a wall of televisions and you saw it in some of the, the clips that went viral of the confetti coming down in there. But that that whole deal, that whole money making and revenue making and tie it into the new stadium. And why do they need a new stadium when the other one's a block away and looks just fine? No, they want to tie in all this revenue and then they're spending it and they've spent it and they spend it pretty wisely on Simeon and Seeger, who are unbelievably you talk about impact, impactful guys. And I think you said in the first couple minutes of the show, and you're going to continue to say it because you hear it too. We got to spend, got to spend a little bit more. It's funny, like when when you sit down and do a deep dive on the Rangers this year and their roster and mm-hmm. how they won it all. It is fascinating. Yes, it is because you spend a half a billion on Seager and Simeon. Yep. You shell out enormously for Degrom. Yep. Who is a non-factor? Yep. Uh, you. Go and acquire Scherzer, who was essentially a non-factor. But then how did they really do it? Yep. They had a lot of homegrown or trade-acquired players. Mm-hmm. Nathaniel Lowe at first base, when he came over, he was not nearly what he has become since going to Arlington. Uh, you have Jonah Heim, who has really blossomed into an all-star mm-hmm. catcher, right? Mm-hmm. Leody Tavares in center field was a, to some people, a failed young prospect who take a, took a major step forward. You could have made a case for him to be an all-star over Julio this year with mm-hmm. the first half that he had. Tapered a little bit, but then ramped it up. And there's a there's well, a lot there's a lot of pieces there oh, yeah. that they had to surround oh, yeah. with the payroll. Yep, and I know I can hear it right now. I can hear Bill and Bellevue screaming at the radio right now. I hear it. I hear Sharon up in Silverdale screaming at the radio. Yeah, you're right, Aaron. They are DDT. They did draft. They did develop. They did trade, and then they spent half a billion on two studs. Right, and, and that is going to be continuing to be kind of the argument. The DDT works, man. Look around. Look around a lot of baseball. There's and many different ways to build your culture and build your team and get the stuff out of the garage. But a little bit of cash at times can go a long ways as well. Now, a highlight for me as a proud Husky that morning was Brock and Aaron's interview with Kalen DeBoer. DeBoer is a baseball person. He played college in independent ball, and his daughter will play softball at the UW this year. It was great to see him take time before the Oregon game to have a few words with Julio Rodriguez, who was there attending his very first college football game. And what a game for a first. Kudos to Goldie for asking the question. Hey, Coach, real quick, give me your takeaway from your interaction with Julio before the Ducks game on the sideline. Give Julio the 44 jersey. I mean, what was it like hanging out with the young man? Uh, That was really cool. That was, uh, I mean, I love love baseball and, um, you know, seeing what he's doing for the, for the city and just bringing, you know, the excitement. But I think it's, it's, there's something about it, just his personality. And that was the first time I ever met him, but I can feel it, you know, whether it's in interviews or, you know, what he does on the, on the field, the baseball field, obviously a, cr- a crazy, super good talent. I mean, high level talent, but uh, it was fun having him come kind of see, uh, you know, what we do, you know, cause I don't know how familiar he is with really the game of football and the environment that we have here at uh, Husky stadium. Um, uh, and so it was really cool. Cause he's, uh, you know, done a great job of bringing, you know, our city together and uh, you know, I was at the all-star game and heard the chance and that was uh that was a fun moment there. And I'm, made sure I shared uh, a few of those things and how my family enjoys uh, watching him play and, you know, all those great things. So it was really fun. Strong safety, flanker, H-back. Man. What do you think? Yeah, you could do it. <laughs> yeah. Up close and in person. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a few ideas I had. <laughs> yeah. Those will just have to stay ideas, but good stuff anyway. Of course, there was some hot stove talk too. I will count myself like a lot of Mariners fans. I'm, you know, Husky men's basketball in the past was my most emotional 
like push pin. Like it, they would just get me. And then it's kind of subsided through the years, unfortunately. But the Mariners are obviously what I am most emotional about, like many fans. And I hear that. I hear Juan Soto. I hear Mandy, you know, Diaz. I hear some of these names like, oh, I like that. Ooh, yeah, I like that. Ooh, I want impact. The flip side is the other side of the ledger and what you got to give up. What are we talking about, you think, for a Diaz in this situation? Well, there's no doubt. Any team who's going to trade with the Mariners wants pitching. Okay. And well, the Mariners have proven to be able to develop pitching better than almost anyone. Yep. And that's what the Rays' whole organization is built off of, is young, controllable pitching that is really, really good. And the Mariners have that in their system. They have that in the major leagues. They had two rookie starting pitchers yep. in their rotation when the season came to a close. Robbie Ray won't be ready, Jerry said, until after the All-Star break. They believe Marco is on track for the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, depending on what you trade, would you have to go and get something as well if it comes from your uh, major league rotation, um, whether it be Wu or Miller? But the Rays, the Rays will want pitching, I would have to imagine. And the Mariners have... More of it than almost anyone. Who do you think, um, let's take Logan Gilbert out of this. I think that is a name, and certainly at the last year's trade deadline, a name that was floated and bantered about quite a bit. So let's take him off of it. Let's just talk about these young guys, Hancock, Wu, Miller. Are there any of those that you, if you were in that seat, would be most reticent to give up? Like, oh, I'd rather move here, and I'm going to protect this one over another. Well, Hancock, we didn't see much of at all, mm-hmm. right? Uh, unfortunately, with injury, missed the rest of the season. Between Wu and Miller, it's funny. They, they both live with their fastball, right? The I think when you watch Wu at his best, you say, man, this is a guy who is just really learning how to pitch mm-hmm. and look how good he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had 100 minor league innings mm-hmm. when he came up. And in... In college, he barely pitched. He was a bad reliever. He was a bad reliever in college. And the Mariners, to their great credit, they saw something in him, and they said, hey, if we do this, and we turn this dial a little bit here, and we Mm -hmm. turn this dial a little bit here, Mm -hmm. and he gets healthy, because remember, he was drafted with Tommy John. Like, he's going to be great. And he was had some really great moments and was very good overall. Uh, With Bryce Miller, this is – Bryce Miller reminds me in some ways a lot of rookie Logan Gilbert, two guys who live with their fastball, and Logan this year learned how to pitch. Yep. Right, He t- went from one of the pitchers who lived with his fastball more than anyone else, threw it more than almost anyone else, to someone who threw it fewer yes. times than almost anyone else yeah. because he had such development with the splitter. His slider was new and improved. I think it was really good for Bryce Miller to watch Logan Gilbert. Mm. Now, he doesn't. He didn't see Logan Gilbert three years ago right. when he was more like Bryce Miller, but to show how a guy can evolve. Mm-hmm. Right, now, Logan is one of the most curious minds you will find in any clubhouse. Oh, you think? And he is always what is that bag of tools? That he, he is has always looking. Does he does he lug that thing all over the country, or is that yes. just a spring training thing? It's everywhere thing, man. That is a it's biz- in everything. That world. is a bizarre. Yeah, he's thing. got all kinds of tools and gimmicks oh. in there. I would say gimmicks is kind of selling a short because right. it works for him. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's all into many of that. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be active. I'll, I'll tell you that. I don't think this is a sit on their hands. I don't think this is let's add a Tommy Listella. Right. Let's add a, you know just a, a little piece here. You know, and not that Wong was a little addition. He had a great track record. It just didn't work here. But this is not one of those off seasons. I think this is one, as you said, that the garage now is decluttered. You know who you are. And a lot of things are in the right places. They really are. 
And when Jerry says something like, hey, you know, I, I know this isn't easy to hear, but we are the envy of a lot of teams in this league because of our young core, because of Cal, because of Kirby, because of Julio, because of our young pieces that are here and sustainable. Now we've got to add a few other components around it. And, uh, yeah, it's going to make for – it's going to make for a fascinating, fascinating offseason. That is um, true. And we, of course, will be here for all of it. That's going to do it for this week's Mariners Week that was on Seattle Sports. The season's over, but the baseball talk continues, and we'll keep you posted throughout the winter on air and online.